We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes over at theentrepreneurethos.com where all of the show notes exist. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the retweets. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for sharing all the great stuff we're doing here. I really appreciate it. Now, on to my guest for today. Brandon Cullen, co-founder and chief concept officer of Metabolic, a fitness training system and franchise. Brandon, like his co-founder, is a former professional hockey player from Canada who played on farm teams for the New York Islanders. After 10 years of playing, he suffered a concussion, ending his career. He'd already been working as a fitness trainer in the off-season, so he and his co-founder developed the fitness training system they called Metabolic. Metabolic also franchises gym and has over 10 locations to date. Their loyal following has kept them afloat even during COVID. Brandon explains that the idea for Metabolic grew out of a realization that there was a gap in the fitness industry. Metabolic is designed to specifically appeal to athletes as they age, focusing on ages 25 to 50, offering clients a unique strength-based conditioning program. While Brandon and his partner are both athletes and bring key skills from sports to business, they also realize that some of those skills don't always cross over. Learning to lead a company comprised of people with different perspectives is one key area he points to. Taking on a partner to handle the logistics of franchising the company has also been key in helping him focus on the leadership areas that he excels in. Now, let's get better together. Brandon Cullen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. We actually met through Phil over at Billionaires and Boxers. So shout out to Phil. Who, uh, out to Phil. We love, <laughs> love Phil. We love Phil. Phil's doing some great work over there at Billionaires and Boxers. And 
you know, it was really cool because I had actually met him through, he cold outreach to me on matchmaker.fm, which is another great tool that I use for guests and stuff. So I always love getting uh, introduced to cool people from cool people. And there you go. So um, you are the founder and chief concept officer of Metabolic, which is pretty cool. Sweet title, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about that a little bit before. It's like, I've never heard of that before. So we're going to dig a little bit into that. Um, and we'll talk about what Metabolic does, you in the fitness space. And it's really kind of cool what you're doing and what you're seeing. And I think you right now are at the vanguard of this whole brick and mortar COVID digital transformation alchemy thing that people are trying to figure out. And it's just going to be, it's just so interesting how this is all going to pan out. But before we talk about all that, like I say often, and my first question is always the same, tell me how you got to do what you're doing today. Yes. Okay. Here we go again. I'm almost, you know, sometimes you get bored of your own story, but um, I guess it is, it's always relevant to tell. I, I grew up in Canada. Um, so I followed that typical, uh, Canadian, um, dream of playing in the national hockey league. So, so I got to the United States through hockey. Um, I played in the major junior, uh, leagues in Canada and eventually <clears throat> signed a contract with the New York Rangers, um, and played in their farm system between the Charlotte checkers and the Hartford Wolfpack. So, uh, the easiest way for me to sum up how I got into fitness post hockey is probably uh, it is actually rather simple. I, I do believe I was a an average hockey player. Like I realized I was good enough to play in some pretty decent leagues, but it it was what it was the fitness off the ice that allowed me to be relevant on the ice with some very gifted um, players. So I took that off-ice preparation very serious uh, at a young age. So from about 16, I did start working with a personal trainer to get me ready to play with, you know, 16, 17, to play with 20 to 21-year-old men. And, you know, I can, you know, I can speak to being a young 17-year-old boy playing with 21-year-old men. So like fitness and physicality was such a big thing. So something I was introduced early and something I fell in love with. And I always believed, you know, funny enough, it somewhat translates to business too, but I've always believed that there's certain things you can control when no one else is looking, um, often um, behind closed doors and, and after hours. And, and that's kind of how I looked at fitness. It was the one thing that I could control that kind of made the uh, made the playing field a little bit more level for me once I got on that ice. So um, fast forward 17 to about 26, going from the major juniors into minor league professional hockey. Um, at the height of my career, uh, I was in camp with the New York Islanders and I had just signed a, a contract with them um, to spend the to spend the year with them and their farm team in Bridgeport. And in this, in the same week, I got a career ending concussion. I mean, and I never laced up my skates uh, to ever play again. Now 
it didn't happen quick. You know, I didn't think I was not going to make it back from that concussion. So I spent a year trying to rebuild myself and I just was never medically cleared to play. Um, the doctors would never medically clear me to play again at the professional level. So real quick, I had to think of what could be next. And I was already training athletes in my off season to supplement my income in the summers. Um, what I would try to do is whatever I was able to bank from my salary playing, I try to keep that same balance in my bank account and do enough in the summers of training. So that was at the same place when I got to the next year of playing. Um, so that was my whole, <laughs> my whole strategy with money at the time. Um, so it was natural to give it a go. Um, but I think the one thing that really helped was in that final season when trying to recuperate, I met my um, business partner and great friend, uh, Kirk DeWall, who followed a very similar trajectory uh, coming through Canada and playing minor league pro. And we were a very similarly built type of player where fitness was important. So we just started having some honest conversations um, of getting into fitness after hockey. And for the first two years or so, we were experimenting with a lot of different strength and conditioning type concepts. And we noticed that just kind of like a big hole in the marketplace, you had, um, you had some very good um, training for high level, uh, high, high caliber people. And then you had your typical YMCA style boot camps, and you really didn't have um, some high quality strength and conditioning for people that are just past their sport and are looking to, you know, not compete at a similar level, but a term that we like to use is, is like age athletically. So we set, set out to build this concept right in the middle that was a very strength bias um, program that focused on interval training. And not November of this year will be our 10th year um, under this concept um, that we now call Metabolic. And we've seemed to find a nice little niche in the marketplace that we thought was there. And, and now we're really starting to see um, the opportunity that we thought existed. So it, it, you, you guys have brick and mortar facilities. I mean, this isn't just like some online Peloton type thing where like download an app and go like you actually have physical gyms, right? Yeah. In fact, that that's exactly what we are known for. Um, we are known for the in-person experience and um, the, the metabolic system or the actual programming behind the workouts and, and probably most important, the training staffs we have on site that are able to implement that game plan for lack of a better term. Usually when we are in a market, um, we're either known to be the top uh, facility in that market, or as we break into that market, that's our goal to be known as you know, the, the best, you need, I, I struggle to use that word. Um, I've had some friends kind of educate on not, not saying the word the best, but I think we do a great job 
at the 25 to 50 year old that prioritizes fitness. Um, they value structure. Um, and you know what? They, they demand results. Um, so that, that's kind of our wheelhouse, that high performer, high, high achiever that's just past their sport looking um, to continue the grind uh, into their older age. So, okay. So like the, the kind of folk that played high school or college sports or was semi-pro or, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the standard kind of thing, cause I, I do, the reason why I'm so fascinated about this is cause I've done a lot of endurance sports in my, my life. I'm now more of a jujitsu player, I'm starting to yeah. focus more on that. And, you know, in the past, what, has always been frustrating for me in terms of conditioning and the kind of conditioning I'm talking about is ultra endurance event type conditioning, you know, things that are like chassis integrity, you know, hardcore, like not only do you get like the, you know, okay, get sprint capacity, but also endurance for the grind. Cause you know, these events that I would do would be eight, 10 hours, sometimes days long. And the the thing that we always had a problem with, and I did this with a bunch of friends and one of my friends, Troy, he would program all the workouts because he's just a fanatic about this stuff. And we, we had used a lot of the mountain tactical stuff and a lot of other things, which we had talked about before. Um, but what I find fascinating is you're right. There is this like gap and you know, I know people that do like Zumba, <laughs> older people that do Zumba because it's fun, you know, and that's just one kind of person. But to take it to the next level, especially like like my ex- perfect example, I'm I'm trying to get back into doing strength and conditioning training specifically for jujitsu, because as you mentioned, that's a huge game changer. Like what you do out of the training and arena, the conditioning, the weightlifting, the strength directly translates to performance because like anything, you know, the more fatigued you are, the worse your technique and the more you can kind of keep up with the, with the conditioning, you'll just perform better. So what, what you do when people don't, you know, don't see or don't, don't see you super interesting idea. So how, how has it that you guys sort of nail that 25 to 50 market? Is it the programming? Is it because of like your experience or was it really a question of, boy, people are just just starving for this and we just had to like put something out there? Um, So I'm going to tackle this from a bunch of different ways. I always somewhat set myself up to fail with what we are seeing. Um, I have to admit that we very much are in the pop culture side of business. Um, We are competing with the F45s, um, the Orange Theories, uh, the CrossFit people that have aged out of CrossFit or are looking for something new. So we very much are in that pop culture side of um, fitness. Now, what CrossFit did over a decade ago, they were very disruptive and kind of reintroduced the world to what training should look like. Um, now, do I think they went a little bit overboard for the general population? Sure. Um, but I still have deep respect from where that program came from. The biggest difference now is CrossFit really isn't in the pop culture conversation as much as 
especially CrossFitters would believe they have a huge, they have a very loud bark, but a very small bite in the, um, in the fitness arena. Like when you look at disciplines like yoga, cycling, um, what F45 is doing, what Orange Theory is doing. I mean, CrossFit's barely in that conversation anymore. So we very much are in the pop culture conversation. Now, where the opportunity lies is if you were, and I'm going to make a blanket statement and feel free to hate me for this <coughs> statement for anyone that's listening, but this is just what, what we are seeing as a company. So whether it is Orange Theory, F45, Peloton, yoga, whatever. And, I, and the reason I'm name dropping is because at least people can relate. I don't want to just say boot camp cycle. You know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah, totally. No, it's, it's these, good you use specifics. Yeah. And if you look at these disciplines as a whole, you will find overwhelmingly that you have under 25 and over 40 as their wheelhouse, um, predominantly fat loss, um, and a very, very swayed, um, female to male ratio. So where we have found this unique niche is somewhat right in the middle, 25 to 45 or 50. Um, we have a very healthy male to female split and where all of these concepts are promoting endless variety, cardio, 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 sweat, 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 more, 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 more. We are the complete opposite. I mean, we are a strength bias interval training program that values recovery, um, that values training different energy systems, not all one speed, hundred miles an hour all the time. So the best way to, to describe it is we are this is a cliche, but I'm going to use it. We are training everyday people truly like athletes through periodized training, the best you can do in a group atmosphere. Um, we actually break the year into four 12-week cycles. And every 13th week is a deload week because another big distinguisher of our client base is nearly 80% of our clients system-wide um, and I'm talking at all of our 14 or 15 locations are on an unlimited 12 month contract, meaning they're coming four to five days a week and taking their two days of recovery. And a lot of the other companies that we referenced earlier, their biggest memberships are the one or two day a week membership. That's about 80% of their membership. So what I want to admit to is the fitness pie is massive. And I know why the volume model over here works where the retention model over here for us works. And I just feel very comfortable where we sit today because as you age, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's not running more miles to get your cardio that keeps you healthy. You know, cardio is a, it's a word that's misused way too, way too often to, to, to oversimplify it. It's your heart beating. It's your lungs expanding. And you can do that through strength training. The biggest difference is as you age and in order to age with a more kind of like vibrant, mobile, strong athletic lifestyle, you need to strength train. As men, we begin to lose testosterone once yeah. we 
get into our 30s and 40s, women deal with bone density issues and osteoporosis. It's not cardio that's fighting back against that. Gravity is continually pushing us down and it is resistance training that pushes back against that. And I think that's like the huge distinguishing factor. Um, A lot of these companies rely on community. It's almost like the new form of um, going to church. It's that third place, you know, whether you're at your work, your home, or that community that, that lights you up and makes you feel good. And we do have that aspect. But I think the biggest difference is our people come to get results and to age in a very strong way. And that just does not exist um, in the big scale version of pop culture group fitness. Neither is better, neither is right, neither is wrong. But I do think we have this unique opportunity. And um, I think people will be chasing us by the time they figure out how important it is. Yeah, well, I mean, there's been a lot of studies about strength training. um, And as you age, how important it is to keep muscle mass, muscle mass, obviously, is also, you know, your metabolic rate and helps with weight loss and just general strength and conditioning. So like, when you fall, (laughs) you can push yourself back up. Um, It is fascinating that sort of a new paradigm. I mean, what what you've been doing exists at ultra athletic programs and like mountain tactical is the one I've just brought up. Like it's, it's a, you know, they have a similar modalities. They're, you know, trying to train people to be, you know, army Rangers and special forces guys and climb mountains like super extreme. So interesting kind of dichotomy between the elite athlete training program one-on-one where like it's sport specific at a high level of elite fitness, the sort of, YMCA Zumba model, which for just a lot of people just to get out and do it is great. But the gap in between, right, is, you know, I mean, it's interesting because it's someone like me who's been an athlete their whole life. You know, I'm 50 now. I'm trying to figure out how to stave off, you know, the weight gain and all the stuff that comes with aging, especially doing a combat sport, which at least jujitsu, I don't get hit in the head. Right. So, um, it is a fascinating kind of business. And let me touch on mountain athletes. So they're a great example. They are, and I took the mountain athlete certification, my partner and I years ago, probably at this point, maybe seven years ago, but we're always just interested in different modalities and how they, um, program. Uh, but, but to point that out, like, like you said, that is a very extreme level of a, level of training that you got to be careful on like what type of the population that hits on the volume um, that they put out there. I do believe kind of falls in that elite style of training. And I do want to make that distinguishing factor. We very much are in the everyday athlete mold. We just do the strength portion of it better. We do it smarter. We have the background to do it. It's, it's not all flashy, you know, high fives community and all that stuff, which, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. I think I'm just trying to to talk about the opportunity that also exists out there for the person that wants to show up 
with like-minded people, with classes that start on time, finish on time, and deliver a specific stimulus um, over four, eight, 12 weeks in a 52-week cycle. So again, not right or wrong, but I do believe the mountain athlete person is, is performing right now for a specific sport to get somewhere. And at some point that person too falls into it's too much volume for an aging body, but it's also, we don't want to throw them towards running endless miles that will eventually break down their joints as they age. We want to get them in a structured strength program that uses interval training to bring in the athleticism and the cardio that is a much more sustainable program to age with. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I hear you. I've been feeling that for, for a while now, um, trying to figure out how to, cause I used to be long distance runner and that, you know, that has its own challenges. And, you know, during COVID, of course I gained, you know, the COVID-19 weight <laughs> that a lot of people have. I know I'm not the only one, um, <clears throat> and struggling to try to figure out given the age and the dynamics of metabolism and just the general you know, malaise of the world right now, how to get back into that, you know, part of fitness that, you know, weight training and, you know, tr trying to, trying to like balance that. Cause I, I was an extreme, like, again, I was an extreme athlete, like, yeah. you know, I would wear myself out. I mean, we would even have deload weeks in our, my group I'd be like, Oh yeah, we got to deload for a week. And everyone would be like, Oh really? Why do we have to do that? <laughs> and it's because well, we got to recover. Um, and as time goes on, you could feel it. Like I just could, I could, I can feel it today. I mean, it's just, there's a diff, it has to have a different mindset and a different modality. And what's interesting is that I think there's a lot of parallels to entrepreneurship, especially different stages of the company. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if I asked you this before, but is this your first startup? Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, it, <clears throat> it has went through kind of like an experimental process early on that officially became a brand that you could market. But yeah, this, this would be my first startup. <clears throat> I mean, I tried to stay busy when I was um, figuring out if fitness could be a career. Um, I got into a little bit of real estate investments, um, typically buying and selling. So buying land, developing, and selling the, the whole flip game when it was when it was possible to actually do it um, when you when it was less risky and there was different kind of loans available that that aren't available now like stated income loans and stuff like that so I stayed busy with that I stayed busy with <clears throat> I mean everything from bartending to odd jobs here and there as I was trying to learn if fitness could really be a thing. Um, but it has now been a thing for a good uh, 12 years. Okay. Okay. So what, what are some of the things that sort of surprised you about this whole entrepreneur journey? I mean, you know, you're clearly a driven person. If you were going to play professional hockey, how, how, how has that sort of professional athlete mentality, does it cross over into entrepreneurship and kind of what are some of the surprises that you found that may maybe a little different than the whole, like going to be a pro athlete. Yeah. I think there's a lot of correlations. I mean, we run, 
um, our business as if you were um, creating a perfect team. Uh, we even use funny analogies. Like if we are opening a new unit, we talk about your ideal starting lineup and actually have, <coughs> we, we relate them to positions on the ice or <laughs> positions on the court and say like, who's going to be your franchise player and who's going to be your perfect winger and who's going to be the stay at home defenseman. Like we actually build ideas off of that. So we very much are ingrained in that process as individuals. My partner and I are very much ingrained in the uh, professionalisms that were pushed on you or not professionalism expectations that were pushed on you at a young age. So never being late for everything, looking and dressing the part showing up on time, you know, like just, just, I guess I just said that, but so a lot of those things, I think at the, the high level of our team at the corporate level of our team are easy to institute. Um, one of the biggest uh, learning lessons that I had early on was, you know, it's crazy, Jerry, but I guess everybody doesn't think like me and my partner. <laughs> really? Uh, you found that too? <laughs> that blew me away. Like, uh, but I think. Exactly. One of the things we had to learn early um, from going to kind of like entrepreneurs, partners to now having um, a staff and then having a team was what I've used this before, but I have always thought that the two of us were natural, um, leaders. We'd like to show up and we'd like to lead by example. And in your sports careers that typically put you in a captain or assistant captain role, or you were a a leader in that position and your teammates below you somewhat rallied around. If you were going, the team was going, right? Um, When you get to business, you know, you do have to manage a lot of different personalities. Um, You have to you have to manage a lot of different family dynamics, a lot of different um, journeys to that point. You know what I mean? And we learned out pretty quick that we were very average managers. Um, so that was, that was tough. You know, like we thought, let's just lead by example and everyone would follow suit underneath us. And it, that was the one thing that I do. It does not seem to translate into business um, as seamless as it did in sports, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's interesting that you bring that up because there is, uh, that's so fascinating because <clears throat> High-performing individuals in sports, military, whatever, right? Um, It's the culture. They build a culture, a high-performance culture around them. Or sports teams and these elite teams, the culture is so valuable, so important that you can – and it attracts people at such a high caliber and a high level. It's very hard to translate that to business. People have tried to do it. And – it's it it falls flat a lot, and the reason is, I think, is that the not everyone is going to have the same attitude and and you know just skills. I mean, they always say, oh, you know, hire only hire A players as an example. Yeah, and okay, that's that's fine, I guess. But your your idea of an A player is going to be different than my idea of an A player because you've been a professional athlete, I haven't. So your standard of A player is 
you know, the program and the system that you were, you were in. And that, and, the, and that kind of falls flat because you can say hire A players, but you kind of got to know what an A player is in different contexts. And the best, the best book I've read about this is the book, this book about the All Blacks, you know, oh, yeah. rugby team. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the name of it, but boy, it was such a good book about culture. Um, and it was actually recommended to be by my friend that's a Navy SEAL. And he's just like, yeah, you want to understand the Navy SEAL culture? Read this book. It's about as close as it gets. Yeah, and, I watched the documentary on it. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and so, you know, this this rugby team who put culture first and, and then attracted all of these, of course, high high um, performing players, it was because they developed this such a strong culture that the culture transcended any one individual. And I think that's the thing that a lot of high profile type A personality people, when they get into entrepreneurship, don't understand is you have to build that culture. And that's a lot of work. So how do you guys attempt to build or if you have been sounds like you're relatively successful with it i mean you've got like 14 sites you're growing i mean you're growing like a weed um from what we've talked about before and especially during a time of we're still in covid and everyone thinks brick and mortar's dead and it's crazy everyone's going to go online fitness and the gym is dead you know how many times have we heard silly things like that so <laughs> take, can really you take me through, yeah, right right can you can you try to take me through the process that, you know, after learning, oh, I'm a mediocre manager, one, how, how did you improve that? And, and two, like, how do you build culture? How do you build that high performance culture that you are used to in professional sports? Whew. Okay. Well, it's, there's also different tiers of it too, right? It's very exactly. easy. Like when we started off in our flagship city, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, where, where I sit today in my, my office and actually in the, uh, the original facility, that's easy to do when you're controlling a singular market with your team. You can build that uh, kind of ruthless culture. And I don't mean ruthless in a bad way, kind of like ruthlessly prioritizing who you want on your team. You can do that easily. Um, scale. Wow. What a different scenario now when you start doing it in different markets, uh, with different teams and different personalities, especially too, because like we are in the franchise game, we franchise our product out, we give the game plan, we train all the trainers, we implement the training. But at the end of the day, franchising each individual franchise unit is its own business right? You do get to control the systems in this and that, but you can't exactly tell them who to hire, who not to hire. You can make strong suggestions that I don't think this is a good cultural fit and I don't think this will work in your market, but at the end of the day, it's their own business. So I think scale brings a lot of challenges when trying to keep that uh, culture that you may have created in one or two locations that were very close to you, right? Um, So I think one of the things we did early on, going back to the leader versus manager side of things, we got up to that 10 location uh, mark. And it's coming up on two years now. So we partnered with a private equity arm of the business now, uh, their name Z Growth Partners, right? Yeah, so it's it's easy to start off with a very strong culture at a local level, 
um, where I sit today is it, I sit in my office in the flagship location. Um, so when we set out to build a certain type of culture here, you, you do have a lot more control over that. Uh, so the people we brought on, we were, we were very kind of like ruthless and prioritizing the type of people we wanted on our training floor. <clears throat> and that was a great start. That's how we started to make some noise. But it does change a lot when you go to new markets. It changes a lot when you start to franchise the model out. Now you're dealing with, like I've talked about before, but different uh, mentalities, different upbringings, different uh, types of ownership structures. So that was a maintaining culture. There's certain things you can control. You can control definitely the types of workouts you're putting on the floor. You can have training standards. You can have on-ramp processes. Um, God, you can control the music, you know, things like that. You can have a certain feel. But when it comes down to that local kind of franchise level, at the end of the day, it is their business and you advise as best you can. You can say, I don't think this general manager is a great cultural fit um, for what we are trying to accomplish, <clears throat> but that general manager could be the, um, could be the owner. <laughs> you know, it could be. Yeah. Could so be true. Friend. Um, and if they want to put that person in place at the end of the day, they have that entrepreneurial business right within the franchise model. So, um, scale brings challenges and I think every level of scale brings challenges. So our first goal here, we have 15 units open. We have about 30 in development. I think by the end of the year, we'll probably have another 10 under contract. And the ultimate goal is to get to 200 units, um, in the next five years. So I imagine when we hit that hundred location mark, it also will bring a new set of challenges in maintaining culture. Now you have more voices in the conversation. You have more personalities in the conversation. So I don't think that's um, specific to fitness. I think that is just scale in general. Um, but the one thing that going back to the great leaders um, or average managers argument, when we partnered with our private equity um, arm of the business, Z Growth Partners, <clears throat> it was their actual approach that allowed us to get back to that leadership position, meaning they brought decades of scale and franchise experience. Um, and their first goal was to put us back in that leadership role um, to lead not only the workouts that are designed and how they are implemented, but to lead by example and lead this training staff that implements the game plan because there's a lot of nonsense that has to go on to franchise a unit and get it open. Everything from lease negotiations to or well, discovery days to lease negotiations to the construction process to digital advertising. So a lot of that now is in the hands of amazing managers, right? As opposed to us that were what we thought to be good leaders learning how to do this managing thing, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think it's, you know, the sports analogy I think is very apropos here, right? It's like, you got to put the right player in the right position. Even if that, you know, you could have a great player and they just be in the wrong position. They're not going to be successful. I mean, even as a team, right? There's some, 
systems of play, even, you know, like professional football or baseball or basketball, they've got their own system. Some people fit into the system. Some people don't fit into the system and everyone plays a role. And it's, it's great that you bring that up, that you had the kind of the, I don't know, self-reflection part of it to be like, yeah, I'm not going to be good at this scale thing. It's going to be like, eh, you know, I think we should just hire someone and or, or, you know, partner with someone. And it's really cool, you know, that you kind of had that reflective piece of it. I mean, I think in what you're doing is probably a little easier to do that because scale is so like, we have physical locations, we have this brick and more. I mean, that, that's a lot more complex than scaling some SaaS company on the internet. Like they're different challenges, but you can get away with a lot more shenanigans in a SaaS company than you can building a brick and mortar with people where you where your brand, the reproduction of your brand is so critical. I mean, that seems to be like the, the, the secret sauce, the magic, the magic, you know, magic fairy dust kind of thing. And how do you set out those kind of standards of culture, standards of practice, standards of like the standard in which you either evaluate a location or a team? Because I mean, you're, you're in this really interesting spot, right? You're opening brick and mortar workout facilities <laughs> during a pandemic. You got some balls. <laughs> I'm I'm actually very impressed, you know. Well, you know what's crazy? So when we took on the new partnership, um, we had no anticipation in that first year to try to pursue growth. To be honest, we wanted to build out the systems and move over some of the current systems and better some of the systems. We wanted to beef up our team, like all of those things, right? And the franchise interest kept coming. <clears throat> and then COVID hits and we're like, all right, well, this will definitely slow down. And they kept coming. Um, so uh, we feel real good now coming out of COVID um, where we sit because, you know, the one thing that never came up in some of the early questions when we were talking about the extreme side of fitness, we are seeing a market shift and I can even hear it in your voice. And you have this aging population that, well, well let's admit it in North America, we have been kicking the shit out of ourselves for a good couple decades now. And I mean, training too much um working too much not resting enough not taking enough vacation like all that stuff that we that everyone else shits on us for um in other countries and guess what they have a right to shit on us to be honest um oh totally we're we're yahoos on that oof. i mean you can you can see it and even in our average life expectancy is reversed yeah. you know yeah. and and that has a lot to do with you know of course diet and sedentary and all that sort of stuff but it is also this go 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 you know, I think it's probably part of this whole social media, you know, everyone, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns kind of bullshit, which is not true. Like, we all know this, like, your Instagram life is not your real life, yet you're always trying to pursue that. And I think you're right. I, I feel the shift. I see the shift now in what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, it just, I, yeah, it's, yeah, go ahead. I think that laid into this perfect storm of our growth. So you have the fitness industry where, yes, the big boys um, are out there still doing great. Like, like I, maybe I believe 
we offer something, let's not say better, but different than say an F45 or an Orange Theory, right? Watching the way they are able to grow is not is 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 it's beautiful to see what they can do, right? Um, but where I'm seeing the shift is now you're seeing sleep apps, you're seeing uh, wearable technologies that are looking at HRV and sleep quality. You're seeing stretch labs and and um, what's the other one? Gosh, um, stretch lab, stretch zone. You are seeing um, recovery products, cryo, cryo, whatever they call the cryo. Yeah, cryo. Yeah. Yeah, like this stuff's all becoming mainstream, and I think. If you look at these trends, like you start looking at these puzzle pieces, so you see America or North America trying to slow down. They don't know how to do it yet, but they know they need to slow down. You have the peak of CrossFit had happened. You have the growth of the F45 and the Orange Theory. And then you have someone like us that is saying, slow down, train a little bit smarter, incorporate strength, don't kick the shit out of your body. Then COVID hits and like some of the restrictions that were put on us during COVID, like operate at say 50 or 25%. Well, our facilities were built for a, a training experience, not a raw, raw nature, a training experience where we, you would get one-on-one -on -one attention. So when someone, when the CDC made the recommendations and our local county said, Hey, we need you to operate at 50%. 50% of our building capacity was still our full classes because our classes are 20 or 25 people, but we have doubled the space of our competitors. So I feel like all these puzzle pieces of like, let's slow down, stop kicking the crap out of ourselves. COVID hits, we have more space. Like a lot of things happened in this time where coming out of it, we feel is, you know, as confident as ever on our, which I think is a pretty modest growth plan like if you think of isolating the top 50 markets in the united states and you modestly drop anywhere from two to five locations and i'm talking you know you could do a five in a new york city and yeah you could do a lot more than that but say you do a, a four or five in a dallas and you do a two or three in a, a Charlotte, you're at that 200 units without being greedy. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm just really excited about what comes out of COVID. And I mean, I feel like we should, we've been dancing around the topic a lot, but a lot of the questions I'm getting asked right now is, what do you mean your facilities are full? We're still in COVID. Like, isn't digital crushing you? And did this... This just couldn't be further from the truth. This, this digital is going to replace brick and mortar. Um, right. And here's, here's my take. If you were offering an average product from a results kind of component, um, the, the actual physical training or program wasn't amazing and you were, you know you were more of a pop culture community driven gym you know if, if that person can find that on a bike in front of a screen right now yeah i think digital needs to be a hybrid play for that type of gym if you are known for your professional in-person experience and one-on-one training i can promise you digital is not touching that consumer 
you can't do what we can do on a training floor. But the beauty of it is that there's nothing new about this. Right. People have been doing P90X off of DVDs for right, years. Right, right. You know, right, like, right, right, I mean, right. now we're doing P90X off a of mirror in our, in our house. Yeah. And people now have just a sexier version of a spin bike in their house. Like, these things existed, and it's just, it's a bit overreaching because like we are going to want to go back and see live music, like we want to eat out in restaurants, people do want to train with people. That's just as simple as it is. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I see, you know, even like a person, the personal trainer model, right. You know, probably a little bit, uh, well, a little bit, obviously more expensive and a little bit more of the, you know, conditioned athlete type thing, but also just personal trainer people that want a personal trainer. I mean, here in San Francisco, you know, when they closed all the gyms and you couldn't train in the gym, you'd walk around these parks and there's personal trainers everywhere training people because people found a way. Um, And I think that personal touch is never going to go away. And it's just so, I don't know, like the demise of brick and mortar has been told and and told and told again for hundreds of years. I mean, you know, they thought that, uh, you know, the catalog Sears and Roebuck catalog, Oh, you know, no one's going to want to go to a shopping center anymore. And then all of a sudden Sears and Roebuck creates stores. And then as time goes on, guys like Amazon and, you know, get crushed them. And then they start all that bad kind of retail experience sort of goes away but yet Amazon is building brick and mortar stores. Worbly Parker's building brick and mortar stores. Google's got the beta store. I mean, people are going to want to go try some Peloton. I think you mentioned this before. Peloton's got a store because yep. you got, you, you, there's a certain aspect of the touch and feel of it. And I, and I agree with you about having a hybrid approach. Okay. You sometimes need the digital stuff, you know, especially, okay. Pandemic hits. You don't want your business to go completely away. Sure. Um, did, did you guys have like a digital backup to what you guys were doing or was it? No, all- we didn't have a backup, which, <clears throat> um, I mean, it was a shit storm for that week, knowing that we had to um, adjust. The, the one thing that is nice is we, we have such a loyal client base that trust in, you know, the, the content we can put out there that we flipped pretty quick within a couple of days and started recording, um, Vimeo. We mm. just took a very different approach at it. So we sent out to our client base, the type of equipment you would need and you could use at your home. Um, we even had the local facilities rent out their equipment to, um, like we'd rent out dumbbells and kettlebells to people that were in the market. And what we did is we actually treated it exactly like a um, class experience. So instead of running you through some instructor led workout, you know, where you're yelling at a screen, <laughs> what we <laughs> was we introduced the workout. We introduced what we were trying to accomplish, the work to rest ratio or the time domain we were going to use And then we demoed the three to five movements we were going to use in that workout and talked about what to look out for and be careful of as you perform that workout. And then we gave them an interval timer to do it in their garage. So 
we took a different approach, almost like we were providing personal program design for people at home versus a Zoom approach to fitness, uh, which worked out well enough for us that um, even in the worst of COVID, remember I talked about 80% of our, close to 80% of our membership are on 12-month contracts. Right, right. Well, we only ever dipped um, to about 70% of that number in the worst of COVID. And yeah, I mean, like it's a bit of an outlier of what happened in the industry. And I, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about number one, the type of client we get to work with. Number two, the type of franchisee and trainer we have in our markets that those clients put trust in. So it's like a lot of good things happening there. Um, and then the biggest thing was where we knew we were going to be okay. The second, um, the second things were lifted capacity issues. Gyms were allowed to be open. Our doors filled immediately. So where we sit today, we are back to our um, 2019 numbers. We're back to our early 2020 numbers based on revenue and attendance. So for everyone out there that's saying the, you know, the brick and mortar is in trouble, I can promise you if you offer the right type of experience to your consumer, it is not in trouble. And we are living proof of that. Yeah. No, I really think the whole reimagining of retail experience you know, there's this whole retail 3.0 approach, which is online, on-premise, on-demand. That's mostly for consumer goods. But I do think that people are taking a more keen, more, not keen is not the word, but a more detailed look at it because the experience of retail has to change or people just won't go. They mm-hmm. and Or they'll find a better way. And you see this in all sorts of high-end retail. Warbly Parker is another good example where they're expanding their their retail presence because it's, I mean, I have, you know, I have reading glasses. I mean, I go, I, I, when I had to get reading glasses, I remember them being such a good brand. I went and walked into their, their store before COVID, you know, and it was a great experience. And so when the experience is good, people will return. And I think you have to be very, you have to be, you know, conscious about that experience. And it sounds like that's what you guys are trying to do as you kind of reproduce your model and franchise, which again is very interesting, challenging, hard thing to do because you got to deal with the variability of different markets, the variability of people. So the processes and systems just have to be bulletproof. And when anything scales, and I think even if like what you do is of course harder to scale because it's a kind of a physical thing, but any kind of entrepreneurial scale comes down to how do you percolate and, and, and drive the culture as more and more people come on board and what processes do you put in place? It's just, just the very, I mean, I'm very encouraged. Like I, I think, you know, cause you hear, you hear all the negativity, right? Everyone's going to work from home. No one's going to want to go back in the office and, you know, and of course here in the tech world in San Francisco, we're a bunch of, you know, snowflake debutantes <laughs> that, you know, we just do well, what we got to do. Yeah, And let me use a couple examples there. So I think you're touching on the main thing that I agree with um, and, and it's experience, right? So um, even like that example, you just use like the, the, the tech world, 
um, and in the war on talent that I know exists in the tech world right now and, and how owners of the, of those businesses actually have to consider like what they offer or what, or what they don't offer. You know what I mean? Um, but it's kind of funny, like even when you think work from home or in the office or a hybrid, I, I, I find it hard to believe that this is like earth shattering, like an earth shattering revelation. There have always been people that love an office. Yeah. There have always been people that love to work from home. And there has always been people that like a, a hybrid version of that. The, the difference now is COVID has given the work from home people a bigger platform to make their voice heard. But I don't think the intentions are as dramatically different as people want to believe. The work from home people really want to work from home now and they have yeah. a reason to prove it. That's like, that's kind of how I see it. Um, right, totally. And then when we go back to experience, like two brands are, are, are for me, I love coffee and I'm a snob about coffee. Like that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> how it is, right? And I have a great friend who is an entrepreneur in charlotte and he is he has started a, a same year as us about 10 years ago but he started a powerhouse brand called not just coffee now my day starts with getting a coffee from them and it is because when i walk in i know what to expect i know the people are going to smile at me and know my name they always have a great playlist on and they have the fucking best coffee on planet earth like I'm not going to get a subscription coffee model and try to reproduce that in my kitchen every morning. That's just not what I'm going to do. And then another one would be who everybody knows. And we have a close partner, uh, not partnership, sorry, relationship with, but Lululemon, right? Right. So I'm right now wearing my ABC Lululemon joggers. I, I wear them pretty much every day and I don't know what they cost. They're probably... 120 bucks, whatever. And I'm also wearing a $10 t-shirt that fits my body well. I don't really care if it's expensive or cheap as long as it fits me well and looks nice, right? Right. right. Well, I have no problem buying these $10 t-shirts on Amazon, but I 100% am going into the Lululemon store for the experience of what that amazing company brings to the table in their stores. Right. Right, and I right. just think it's not as different as everybody wants to believe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what, what I think COVID has shown us is that if you are a company and trying to be resilient in a changing world, you know, basically you're going to need to adapt and overcome to the circumstances you find yourself in. If you're a good brand that takes care of their customers and your experience is stellar, then it's going to be tough. But I think a lot of people are going to respect that. And it's it's just interesting that, and I think it's just maybe the extremes of our societies, you know, being Yahoo, Cowboy, independent American types, that we just like oscillate <laughs> between these extremes so often and it's just silly well not silly i mean part of the beauty of living here and part of the beauty of the experience the american experience is that we are a little schizophrenic about new things and old things and you know we're very passionate about 
who we are as a people and the identity. And, and, and you know, honestly, for all its faults, like this is the place to be if you want to make it anywhere. I mean, we are the only country in the world where all you have to do is say, you know, all you got to do is pledge allegiance to the flag and you're an American. It doesn't matter what you look like. And of course, we've got some issues that we have to resolve. Don't get me wrong. Like every society does. But we're pretty much one of the best at that. And it's because, you know, <laughs> we're founded by a bunch of revolutionary, dare I say, you know, terrorists, according to the English government that didn't want to pay whiskey tax. You know, it's just yeah, nutty. I, you know? really, I can really speak to that, to be honest, because as I said, I grew up in Canada and there's, yeah. there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of beautiful things about both countries and there's a lot of arguments to be made in both countries. And it was kind of interesting to see the way we have, I'm going to use these words delicately, but the way we have um, worked to make it past uh, COVID was pretty much <clears throat> capitalism at work, you know, and, yeah. and, a, and, a, and it was opposing voices challenging one another enough. And my family, who all still lives in Canada, the one thing that's really beautiful about being a Canadian is there's a universal voice about being a Canadian and there's a certain shared set of values that is being a Canadian. But right now, that same universal voice is what is killing them, not letting them get back past the pandemic because there is not an opposing voice or right, right. there's not a strong enough opposition to a government mandate. Um, so it's interesting. I always say to all of my Canadian and American friends, and by the way, I got my American citizenship this year. So I am passionate about <clears throat> the opportunities that I've been given here. And I'm still passionate about the way I was brought up in Canada, but like you can be in either country and you can fucking bitch all day long about what's wrong, or you can realize that you reside in a certain country and you can figure out how to do it as best you can. Yeah. I so agree. So agree. So what, what do you think you'd give like some insights you'd give to the next generation of entrepreneur or, you know, what, what questions do you think they should ask themselves as they sort of start their entrepreneur journey? Um, so I've said this on multiple podcasts. I've put, I put it to print uh, many times. And one of the biggest rubs I have today is I'm a big, you know, I, I grew up never reading a book. And now I'm a person that reads a ton of books. And I very much like to read business books and bettering yourself books and hacking the world kind of books. So that's, you know, that's the thing that kind of interests me at this point of, of my life. Um, with that being said, one of the commonalities that I find in a lot of these new business books is this idea of searching for balance and only doing what you're passionate about and, you know, all that stuff is like, you need balance in your life and don't work too hard and, and all of this. And the funny thing is, is when you read a lot of these bios of the people that are writing these perfectly balanced entrepreneurial books, they seem to skip all the chapters about their 20 years of grinding that gave them. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're oh. correct. You're correct. 
my thought, my biggest advice to entrepreneurs or people considering it, it is a grind. Um, get ready to work, get ready to fail and learn how to pick yourself up and keep moving forward. Um, when you talked about hockey or athletics earlier, I think the biggest thing it gave me, um, or I think the biggest advantage I had coming out of hockey into business was that I was not that great at hockey and I got cut a lot. I, I got cut often. I would go to New York Rangers camp, I'd get cut to Hartford, I'd get sent to Charlotte, and I'd crawl, crawl my way back up. And entrepreneurship is failing often. And, and my advice would be fail early, fail often, and just figure out a way to keep getting up and putting one foot in front of another. Because most people I have found, they just stop too early, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. before they're there. True. So true. So true. Well, Brandon, you know, it's just been a great conversation and I'm just so fascinated by how you guys are building this brick and mortar business during a pandemic, which just kudos to you because like, that's a pretty bold move. But I think to your point, you brought it up before is that, you know, building during bad times is what prepares you for the good times. And there's so many examples of this where people have the foresight to be like, oh, no, it's time to build. Let's get going. Let's not shy away because when these, when this will end, which it will end, of course it will end. It always ends. We'll be ready for growth. And so, and be ready to serve people and give them a great experience. So thanks for your time and hey, stay safe, man. And good luck on all the growth stuff. Thank you, Jerry. Great to talk with you. Thanks, Brandon, for the awesome interview. It was really cool to talk to you, and I really appreciate your time and all the cool things you're doing, and also your perspective as a former professional athlete. Really, really cool. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from Brandon. It's all about the fail. Brandon points to his experiences being cut from teams over and over again as critical and teaching him to tolerate failure and not to give up. Well, as we all know, <laughs> uh, the entrepreneur journey is full of failures and setbacks and all sorts of interesting challenges and zigs and zags. So that's actually a really good metaphor. You just got to keep trying, keep trying out until you can't try out anymore. Keep moving. A lot of people give up too soon. And we've heard this time and time again, right? Just when you think you should give up, you should probably push a little bit harder. This little bit harder is going to really like make sure that you actually um, should stop or, you know, can't go on anymore. So very important to like push a little more, right? Focus on what you can, can control and the areas you can improve. Brandon's journey into fitness training started when he was 16 and he started putting his energy into off-ice conditioning in order to strengthen his abilities and be able to play high caliber with high caliber hockey players. So it's, as they always say, like it's really one in the off season. And you can tell when we talk to Brandon that 
really passionate about like that fitness level. And that fitness level is what pushed him really far, not just skill, right? You got to put the hard work in. Same with being an entrepreneur. Sometimes it's just the grind of practice, the grind of like making, doing things over and over again to get really good at it, to build your endurance and build your, your stamina. Uh, same holds for entrepreneurship as is for professional athletes. We're, we're sort of like the professional athletes of the business world, I would say. <laughs> anyway, those are some actionable insights that I learned from Brandon. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.